Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Junk Drawer Podcast. This is a special episode. Um, it's one I recorded back over Thanksgiving in November. Uh, it includes my grandpa, Vinny Macuso, and my uncle, Alex. And it's, uh, I guess you could say it's their testimony or their story about how uh, they came over to America, a little bit of the their memories with us uh, growing up, and then uh, uh, how they came to know the Lord. And uh, I just thought it'd be a fun episode to do, and I hope that you will enjoy it. And then at the very end, I tacked on the audio of my grandpa's testimony done by Pacific Garden Mission in Chicago, Illinois. And uh, I think it's, it's a really good... Um, kind of back and forth of the firsthand testimony straight from my grandpa and then their written rendition of it as well. And I, I really hope that you'll enjoy this special episode of the Junk Drawer Podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Junk Drawer Podcast. Uh, this is, uh, in some ways, this is probably the most special episode to me. Um, today, I'll be having my grandpa Makuso on. And really, in a lot of ways, this this episode is so special because um, I, I asked him to give his testimony and a little bit of his backstory. And in a lot of ways, just the reason this episode is so special is because, um, obviously, if it wasn't for both my grandparents, wouldn't be here. But just because of, um, in a way, because of God's um, graciousness to our family and uh, just how um, miracles do happen. Um, uh, and uh, miracles just really do happen because of, of how God leaves in lives. Because um, I guess by worldly standards, um, grandpa's life was on a track that um, if you were to look at it, would you would think that, man, he's, you know, not going to go anywhere. But I'm uh, I'm just gonna kind of. But God's good, and He uh, He's very gracious to to him and and his family, and and by proxy, um, I'm here today, and probably wouldn't be if it wasn't for God's graciousness. So I'm gonna kind of just hand it right over to Grandpa, and let him just jump right in. I might ask clarifying questions along the way, but um, for the most part, this episode is just yours. If you could just give your testimony and kind of your backstory, and and leading into more or less present day. Well, thank you, Silas, for giving me this uh, opportunity. To share a testimony that's uh, even more uh, made clear as you walk and journey your life. I'm uh, 77, going on 78. Uh, 34 years of my life I've lived in darkness. And 42, going to 43 years living in the light of Christ. And in all those years I've been able to inventory, just rehearse the things that have gone on in my life. Um, I remember when I first came to know the Lord, uh, a little missionary lady told me, uh, I asked her a question. I said, when, when you come to know the Lord, what's the secret in keeping that faith and that vision that God has given us? And she would always say to me, Vinny, just remember every day God will give you a blessing. Store it in your inventory. And as life goes on and things become difficult and Satan... Uh, throws those fiery darts, you just look over your shoulder and pick from that inventory of great things God has done and tell Satan that uh, the victory belongs to Jesus. And so again, I thank you for this opportunity 
most of the things that I do share of my past uh, comes from my father. Uh, my father, um, unfortunately, because of his background, uh, was an extremely hardcore alcoholic. I never understood that until I came to know the Lord. Um, but um, he, uh, he would rehearse these things when he drank, and he would become very emotional and would weep. And, and I couldn't understand it, but we were kind of forced to, to listen to it. But on those occasions, he'd open up the past. And uh, he was a Russian soldier. Uh, I believe he was an orphan. He never spoke of his parents. And so um, he was taken into the army. He was a young man. And he was used as a virtually a, a spy, where he would go into villages and, and, and assess uh, what the Germans were doing. And being in that position, he was often captured and escaping that whole routine, as you would even see in a movie. But um, I would oftentimes see uh, uh, my father's, when he'd have his T-shirt off, uh, scars and things on his body. Hmm that were reflective of uh, what he went through. Hmm. Actually, even underneath, in some parts of his body, there were torture marks. Huh. And he would share that with me. And he would, when he shared that, it would, it would, it would actually be agonizing and uh, just inhuman. It was, uh, he was torn. He was a very hurt man. Mm-hmm. And that really took out on him. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, all this came out through him. But I couldn't comprehend the pain at what he was going through, uh, and and I was starting my own uh, assessment and judgment and venting out uh, my bitterness and anger at mm-hmm. him for the life he was living, because when he drank, he was very abusive. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, our, our holidays, Christmas and Easter, and any other celebration would always wind up with excessive drinking and violence and the police and and all of the uh, that comes along with that. But uh, my dad was captured and brought to a concentration camp and was about to be executed when the uh, American army liberated him. Hmm. When he was liberated, uh, he, according to what he would share with me, he'd, he'd walk by a, an area of uh, bodies virtually piled up and uh, he kind of pulled, uh, brought a body out of that and then, because it was kind of moving around, whatever, I don't know how he described it, but it was a young lady he restored her health, and uh, it ultimately wound up being Mama, hmm. my mother. And uh, the uniqueness, uniqueness of God's sovereignty and the way He plans things. Yeah. Here's my father from Lem- uh, from Saint Petersburg, Leningrad, which is an extreme end in one part of the Russia, and here's my mother in the Ukraines on the opposite. Mm-hmm. And here he is bringing them together. Mm-hmm. And so when they were liberated, uh, they were given the choice to go back to Russia, and uh, they were encouraged not to go back because Stalin was slaughtering returning uh, Russian soldiers. He didn't want any exposure of the Western uh, cultures and whatever else in his country. So uh, they were warned, and my father and mother decided to stay back, and while they were being displaced, here I come on board, 1946. And so dad chose to go to Belgium uh, to work the coal mines. Uh, He was given an opportunity to work in the mines for seven years where he earned money and uh, enough money to come to America, Mm -hmm. buy a passport, take in all that's needed. And there was certainly a waiting period, not like today. Right. And so seven years and then he got our paperwork. And again, unfortunately, the things that are going on is my father continued the drinking. Our home life continued to be pretty difficult. And uh, now my dad took on another thing called gambling. He was a heavy drinker, 
heavy smoker, and now he's gambling his money away. So we earned uh, our way to America. In 1954, we landed in LaGuardia. I remember that. Um, my father, mom, and I, and my sister, Reza. And so we moved, uh, ultimately moved to West Haven, Connecticut. There was a family there that sponsored us and uh, took mm-hmm. care of us. From there, we moved to New Haven, Connecticut. Uh, my dad worked in the foundry. My mom worked in the text mill. And my sister and I took care of the home. We cleaned the house and made sure everything was ready for them to do. And life was a little difficult in those days. We moved to New Haven, Connecticut, which was a center of uh, truly a, a ghetto. It's, it was a place mm-hmm. where you had gypsies. Yeah, yeah. Polish, Russian. People were there waiting for uh, where, personally, God was going to place them. Mm-hmm. And so um, we moved there. And I learned, unfortunately, through hard times that you had to become the king of the hill. And not being able to speak English, uh, I don't think I ever made school without being surrounded by a bunch of guys that would uh, take out vent their uh, differences with me because they considered me to be Nazi, communist, or whatever words you want to use. But I've always caught a, a slight physical beating. It's a kind of an orienta- or, uh, orientation to becoming a member of, uh, of the gang. Mm-hmm. But unfortunately, I'd get beat up, and then I'd come home, and my father would recognize that I got beat up, and then I'd get beat up again by my father because I was getting beat up by strangers. So it became a pretty <laughs> nasty life. Uh, but I became the king of the hill. I learned how to fight. I learned how to climb that ladder. And unfortunately, I learned how to manipulate people. And uh, well, you say, well, that's pretty good. Well, unfortunately, it depends on how, uh, how you utilize that. And so from here on in, I learned how to use people, men, women, uh, to gain my ladder, to gain my prestige, hmm. to put myself where I had to be. And that brought me through high school and college um, fortunately, again, God is journeying. He's doing all of these things to put me in a position where I am today. I can see that clearer even now. He always placed people in my life that would encourage me. My father was not an encourager. Well, he didn't know how to do that. He wasn't brought up. The father image was missing there. So dad tried. He, he sincerely tried. I can say that now as a Christian. Hmm. But uh, the vodka and the and the lifestyle always took away from the good memories that we should have had as a family. So I made it through high school. Uh, my drinking continued because I was on a soccer team. We celebrated in ways we shouldn't have, and that took me in uh, in a direction. But again, God used soccer and sports to get me into college on a scholarship. So I made college, where the drinking became even more excessive. Uh, you celebrated and, and, and all of these things. And I started realizing that my path was you know, going into an area that was becoming dangerous. There were two occasions in college that were kind of an awakening. I, I, uh, I had a car and unfortunately became intoxicated. I had a young lady there and uh, on her way speeding and all that. Flipped the car. Uh, supposedly, uh, when I came out of the coma... I was told by the policeman, the arresting officer, that uh, I was fortunate the young lady wasn't killed because I seared the top of the car off. It rolled over 120 feet, and I should have been decapitated. And one of the comments the policeman made was, you shouldn't be here. Somebody up there must like you. (laughs) That's the comment. It stuck. 
Shortly after that, we got involved in somewhat of a party, and uh, things got out of hand. I was arrested for uh, assaulting an officer. And I always had somebody to protect me from this thing. I had a dean that liked me, and the, the police record was written off. And Well, graduation came. I was going to go to Vietnam. I was going to become an officer. And that was my plan. The senior year, I was going to go into um, go into a program where I would go, uh, leave as a lieutenant and come back a hero after I probably resolved the, the Vietnam War. That was my attitude. But God mm-hmm. had a different direction. I when met did, a young lady. When did you, uh, yeah, I was going to say, when did you meet Carmen? That? Uh, I was invited to a party. And again, we weren't saved. So it was right, a, yeah. one of those things. I was invited to cat my wife's brothers, who was my fraternity brother, to a party. And there I met Kathy. And it was one of those things. I, uh, I had no intentions of getting married. I didn't want mm-hmm. to. I, I was going to become a hero. But as a, the old thing, love at first sight, <laughs> I was drawn to this uh, special lady. Uh, yes, she's beautiful and still is. But it was more than that. Uh, it was her ways, her mannerisms. Mm-hmm. And so we dated and all that. And I'll never forget my father saying one day when I brought her home, he looked at her and the way she handled my brother Alex, <laughs> that she ultimately would lead to the Lord. Uh, he was heading the same path I was. But anyway, my father looked at her and says, she's going to be your wife. And I said, hey, Dad, don't, don't, don't say too loudly. No, we don't get into that stuff. Well, as, as God would have it, he was developing a, a, a relationship with Kathy and understanding that she, her characteristics and, and the good things in her. And Kathy uh, uh, became close to my dad. Uh, and, and that was hard for me to understand because they were so different. Huh. Uh, Kathy did come from a Catholic uh, Catholic background. Uh, she uh, and I came from a Russian Orthodox background, and unfortunately, uh, the God that we were introduced to was not the God of love. He was a God of vengeance. Mm-hmm. He was a God of distance. He was a God of selecting people he saw fit. And so Kathy and I never really kind of fit into that equation. So um, when we got married, we just just got married uh, for the sake of having a family. And uh, so we got married, and it was a wonderful Russian wedding, and, and things went on their way, and uh, everything's fine. I served my time in the Army, mm-hmm. came home, uh, got a job, and started off. And within a short period of time, because of that leadership stuff, when I was younger, God was using in that setting that, uh, again, I was able to um, uh, communicate with people and, and, and get into position of doing things. So within a short time, I became plant manager. I ran the operation of 4,600 people, but uh, things were changing. The void in my life and, and the pain that I was watching in my mom and dad and my uh, three sisters and two brothers were going wayward. And mm-hmm. uh, and I found that I had an emptiness, emptiness uh, like my dad had, like we all have. We're always searching for something, something that'll satisfy us, mm-hmm. something that'll make us something what we think we need to be, but yet we don't know what that is. And so as we moved on, we had a beautiful home. Back in those days, it was considered elaborate. You know, hmm. two cars, two girls, the whole thing. And again, uh, I had situations in my life where, again, God was moving, where uh, there were several situations in my drunkenness. I almost, um, in several occasions, um, put my wife, Kathy, and even my daughter, that wasn't even born yet, in a position where, uh, by rights, they shouldn't be here because mm-hmm. of my recklessness and totaling out the car and doing doing those things you do and you don't realize you're doing when you're intoxicated. Hmm. I almost almost caused my brother Greg to be killed in a car accident as I 
Well, I ramble on drunk. So it got to the point where uh, things were not going the way they should. That void within me, that anger towards my father, the anger towards God, the anger to a life that was just uh, basically living Friday to Sunday, mm-hmm. um, not even remembering on Sunday what you did on Friday. Uh, the Macuso house was a place to come if you wanted to party and, and do your thing. But again, uh, so... Uh, there was that one day when my wife and I had a slight disagreement, and one thing led to another, and I, I walked out on her. And uh, Kathy uh, cried out to God, as a mother would, and she just challenged God and says, "God, if you if you're real, you, you do something with this family." Hmm. And next day, uh, two girls from a local little Baptist church came and. and uh- how old were Aunt Tanya and Mom at this time? Uh, Tammy was 12 and Tanya was 10. Okay. Yeah. And as I said, we, I was 34, so Kathy was, mm-hmm. we were in our 30s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, they were invited to vacation Bible school. Mm-hmm. We had no idea what that was. <laughs> but I uh, do know that Kathy noticed that the girls would come back every day slightly changed with scripture quotings and things that were going on that we we never heard of. And so uh, Kathy was invited to the closing exercise. And I believe that uh, for the first time, Kathy, she brought her sister Rosie. For the first time, they heard uh, the gospel, Hmm. the love of Christ. And it was real. It was so real. I can. I remember. I remember the day they came home, and personally, you know, uh oh, got me some Jesus freaks here, Bible thumpers. <laughs> and to kind of make it short, I just watched them and listened to them, and it was sincere. There was a joy in them. There was a fellowship. Oh, Tammy and Tanya got saved, so now I got four of them in my yeah, life. Yeah. And uh, I mean this in a loving manner, but it seems like the more hell I gave them, the more heaven they gave me. <laughs> and they were going to a church, and the church realized my condition, and most folks kind of gave up on me, but there was a handful that kept praying and praying and praying. Meanwhile, back home, things were getting worse. Mom and Dad and uh, the police, and the, the whole routine was just just a horrible thing. Horrible. It was affecting my brothers and my sisters, obviously. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, there was one situation where I committed that uh, there'd be a time that I would show my manliness by physically beating my father. Because that was a Russian custom. Mm. The father yeah, was the yeah. man. And and so I would become a man if I would do that. And I did that. And unfortunately, I was drunk and he was drunk. And, and I never forget the words of my sister. She split us apart. And she looked me straight in the eyes and she says, you're no different than daddy. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, kind of... Uh, a rude awakening that she was telling the truth. Mm-hmm. I was heading in the same direction. So around that time, as I was sharing it, uh, Kathy came to the Lord and, 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 and things were going. My father, uh, it was uh, recognized he had cancer. He was a heavy drinker, heavy smoker, worked in the coal mines, and it finally caught up to him. Mm-hmm. And so within a short time, a man of stature, physique, was, <laughs> he, was my, he was my image and my idol. This guy had muscles that I'd never have. <laughs> Uh, go down to 80, 90 pounds. And I didn't know how to handle that. Now, how do you hate a man that you, that's dying? Yeah. And so uh, 
reality was uh, I was losing the man I hated. And so uh, a week before his death, God knew, uh, my wife Kathy, the one that he told me years ago, you're going to marry her. <laughs> and she was the only one that could ever, ever speak to her the way she did. <laughs> she sat there. And here was his condition. I would share Jesus with him if Kathy would never speak of Jesus again in front of me. <laughs> because I couldn't see a man like my father going to heaven. Yeah. He didn't deserve it. So Kathy shared the gospel, and I translated it. And before my eyes, I watched a man, stubborn, thick-headed, never to be told anything, agreeing with Kathy. Or I should say, agreeing to Scripture. Yeah. Realizing his sins, realizing his life, realizing his need for the Lord. And I was watching the Word of God being translated <laughs> in a manner that uh, it was clearly presented where my father acknowledged the Lord Jesus. He even tried to pick up a Russian Bible, but he couldn't. He was so frail that when he put his glasses on, they virtually fell off his head. I couldn't understand what was going on. Uh, a week later, uh, my pager went off. I was told to head home. I came home, and uh, my dad was obviously going rapidly, and mm -hmm. I sat next to him. And then he looked, he, we made eye contact, and he was having extremely difficult time breathing. And I remember just laying him down on the couch, looking him straight in the eyes. And then he looked at me and he said something. He said, That's Russian for forgive me. Hmm. I didn't understand what this man was saying. I didn't want to accept that. It was too easy. Mm-hmm. In my mind, it was like, you have no rights to die. You have no rights to ask for forgiveness for the life that you gave us. Mm -hmm. I was so bitter and angry, but I couldn't understand. Mm -hmm. The following week, uh, after all of this was done, I was sitting in this little church, slightly hungover from the night before. And the man on the pulpit was talking about uh, God and me. <laughs> He looked at me, the preacher, he doesn't remember that, but he said, if you were God and you knew everything about you that you know, what would you do with you? Hmm. And I kind of rehearsed that in my mind. I said, if I was God, I'd have nothing to do with that. And yet he said, God looked down from the cross and he saw you in your state and he said, Father, forgive him. Hmm. for he does not know what he does. And when he said that, I thought I heard my father's voice. Father, forgive him. And uh, that was the last time I ever attempted to fight God. I called the preacher. Uh, very angry, actually. Where does he get off pointing fingers at me, <laughs> me and making accusations like that? But it was obviously the Lord mm -hmm. uh, identifying that one individual that's got a receptive heart, finally. So I called the pastor, and I talked to him, and he says, are you, are you ready? You stopped fighting God? And I said, yes, I am. So June 11th, 1980, came to know the Lord. Hmm. There was a man in church that uh, 
promised God that if he would save me, he would disciple me, Norm Curtis. And for five years, he, he uh, Monday nights, every Monday night, we would sit down and spend hours and hours of scripture studies, and it was just beautiful. Hmm. Kathy and I got involved in our church uh, with the youth group. We had two teenagers, so they stuck us in the <laughs> in a group of maybe seven or eight uh, young kids. And again, that was beautiful. We were baby Christians, and so we were learning together and developing the lessons and, and, and rehearsing what we need to do, and it all became alive. Hmm. And I felt in my heart a tug. I was tired of working. The, the plant was going well. Every time I felt I was leaving, they'd give me a raise and, and give me another office and hmm. all that good stuff. But God allowed— Who were you working at for at the time? Winchester Western Rifles, hmm. the rifle that won yeah. the West. Yeah. I was a plan manager, and uh, the Lord used that. In those five years that I was there, huh. we established rehab programs. I was able, to, uh, with permission, to lead many to the Lord. That's cool. uh, because of speaking Russian, there were a lot of immigrants coming, yeah. Yeah. so they gave me an opportunity. So the Lord used that, but it was time to go. Huh. And uh, what finally happened is I was tossed, because every time we'd have a missions conference, uh, I'd commit to Russia, I'd commit to South America <laughs> and all of these things. Yeah. And everybody was advising us, <laughs> advising us, uh, well, you know, you should do this, go to college, this and whatever. I even had a missionary that was on the board of Moody Bible Institute. He said, if you go to Moody Bible for two years, I'll waver the other two and you come to South America and we'll work with the Jews, Russian Jews. Hmm. So that sounded great. The only problem was, what do I do with Kathy and the girls? And I didn't have a piece about that. Hmm. God used them for me to come to the cross. Mm-hmm. And I felt that uh, we weren't about to be separated and not mm-hmm. serve together. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'll never forget this night. I went out back in our yard, and it was raining. And we had this fireplace. I used to call it my tabernacle. Hmm. And uh, I went out there. And I cried out to God. I said, Lord, I'll do anything. I'll do anything. And uh, I'll even clean toilet bowls for you. That's, exa- <laughs> that's, that's exactly what I said. I'll clean toilet bowls for you. So I went back in the house and I broadcasted the news. I said, hey, I got the gals together, Kathy and the girls. And I told them, look, I just told God, we're gonna, whatever it takes, whatever we're going to do, we're going to do together, even if it means cleaning toilet bowls. They kind of laughed at me. Just then I got a phone call from my brother Alex, who was working in a, serving in a ministry called Teen Haven out of Pennsylvania. And he was uh, kind of resting up at a place at a camp called Teen Haven Camp, spending the night there. And he was just checking in with me. And uh, in our conversation, I said, well, so what are you doing? He said, well, we work with inner city kids and this and that and whatever. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, inner city kids. And I said, well, what is that? So he went on and explained to me, camp. So then he kidding, well, I don't know if he was kidding, but he said, mm-hmm. uh, well, uh, there's a position here for a maintenance man. I said, yeah. Yeah, it may mean you, you may wind up cleaning toilet bowls for the Lord. <laughs> Those were his words. Yeah, they were his words. I, I hung up on him. I said, come on now. So I hung up on him, and I, I told Kathy and the girls that were sitting, I said, Alex, talking about camp ministry and whatever, and... Um, cleaning toilet bowls, and Tammy looked at me and said, Dad, do you remember the conversation we had just before Alex called? Well, November, we went out and looked at this place called Camp, and I was scared. 
I don't even know what an inner city kid is. Mm-hmm. Uh, who am I going to preach to? Mm-hmm. The squirrels? <laughs> this place we we're going to live in was a, virtually a dump. Yeah. Kathy was going to give up a beautiful home. There's three things she hated, I believe, was snakes, uh, rats, and spiders. That house had them all. Yep. <laughs> I think you remember. I don't know if you remember. I don't that. remember that house, but Mom always told us the stories. You can actually hear remember the, the Barnabas house was the one that I would remember from yeah. there on. In that shack, you can lay there nights and you can hear the snakes catching up to the rats. <laughs> you can, it was horrible, but it was home. It was mm-hmm. unique. It was a it, place for us. Uh, it's uh, it's so crazy to think like so many of us guys, our memories are of summers going and spending time with you at the camp and and doing all the different things. And of course, by the time we were there and grown up, you know, you guys are established. But it's it's so cool hearing the the backstory of getting there and everything. It was a uh, it was a place of memory making. It was a place where Tammy and Tanya uh, learned how to serve. Mm-hmm. They started to see Christianity for what it is mm-hmm. when they were embraced little kids that had no family. Mm-hmm. Tammy and Tanya uh, get the first taste of the frontline Christianity hmm. as Jesus walked the streets and ministered to the orphans. So my girls got to know a deeper type of relationship with the Lord, but they found a joy in mm-hmm. serving the Lord. Hmm. And that rubbed off on a lot of the inner city kids mm-hmm. where they can actually see uh, two young ladies having fun uh, worshiping the Lord, but having fun and getting into uh, guys and playing ball and just just having a blast. Yeah, and so uh, it's been thirty eight years. How many th- thousands of kids? How many toilet bowls do you think you've cleaned over that thirty eight years? Well, you know, there's twenty six of them on a campground, <laughs> but you know, those are probably that's probably the place where I praise God the most. Mm-hmm. It's quiet. <laughs> Uh, it's something you don't really want to do, but you do. But it's a sense of accomplishment mm-hmm. because that's the way he was. Right. You know, I can see him doing the same thing. Yeah. You know, I, I can see him in the kitchen. I can see him on the volleyball, on court. I can see him in the pool. You know, it's strange. You look around, you, you can see him everywhere. Yeah. Just uh, so we we served and continued to serve my, my two girls, my three girls. Oh, that's the other thing. Uh, Kathy had about with cancer, and, and they told us we couldn't have any children uh, back home in Connecticut. But when we came to camp uh, in 1989, God worked a miracle, and he gave us Ruthie. So now we have Tammy, Tanya, and Ruthie. And as I sit here uh, vacationing uh, with my um, wife, my, my daughters, and son-in-laws, my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren, mm-hmm. and the other day we just sat there and everybody gave her praise. And I was just just able to sit back and just look back to think that God would pull a man, an orphan from St. Petersburg, Hmm. a dying woman from the Ukraine, put them together, orchestrate a journey to New Haven, Connecticut, that ultimately led to a place called Brogue, Pennsylvania. And as I scanned the room, I looked at his goodness. Mm -hmm. I looked at him taking... Someone that's worthless, someone that certainly doesn't deserve the gift of his son, totally unworthy of uh, what he's given us. 
and yet honoring the prayers of a mother, the prayers of two daughters. I can look at the four, <coughs> 14 grandchildren, three great-grandchildren went on the way. But even with that, to listen to a grandson, to listen to a granddaughter, to listen and to be reminded of the presence of the Holy Spirit of God mm-hmm. that moved on darkness and created that which is now we can say living in the light of Christ. Mm-hmm. And so that's been our journey. Uh, and I can only say from, from the concentration camp to Teen Haven camp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Conscious blessings. And this has been a, a time and a weekend on Thanksgiving where I've kind of been able to sit back mm-hmm. And truly count the blessings. Mm-hmm. And that is the blessings of surrendering yourself and realizing that mm-hmm. life is nothing mm-hmm. unless you place the Lord Jesus Christ first and see the benefits of uh, his dealings with your issues mm-hmm. of life. <laughs> yeah. No, I thank you so much, Grandpa. Um, no, it's, you know, this week is very special. Uh, we're we're actually vacationing. Uh, it's the first time the entire family's been together in this fashion for, I mean, I don't know, at least ten years probably. So, um, I really appreciate you, and I, I just every time I think about it, I just marvel at the you know the the story in your testimony, your your life story, because it just seems impossible. Like it you when you hear it, it's like, man, that is so far out. Like you, you, it's so impractical, I guess in a way, but yet God is a God of impracticalities. God takes the impossible, you know, he takes the people you would never, ever would think. And he uses them and, and then brings about, and I just think about like, you know, Jordan and his family where they're serving Luke and Regina, where they're serving all of us guys in Maine, mom and how, her and dad met and then Aunt Tanya and her family and mm-hmm. Violet's at Bible college and, you know, Lily and Levi are growing up and, and Lily's training a beautiful young woman that's going to serve the Lord. And then, um, Ruthie and Ray and, and their ministry with you guys in York and, and then Johnny and, and, uh, Josh and Gigi, they're, they're young now, but they're still growing up, mm. um, hearing the truth and being raised in truth. And then the grandkids, you know, Aurora, uh, Wendy, Marley, and Eric and, and then Hunter Mimi's baby on the way and, and just all those things like we don't deserve that. Like none of us even remotely deserve that. But God is so gracious. He brought not only you and grandma to the Lord through those people that came to your house inviting um, Aunt Tanya and mom to VBS, but then he brought dad to mom. He brought Ray to Ruthie, he brought Sean to Tanya, mm. he brought me to Nicole, he brought mm. Mimi to Hunter, he brought Heather to Jordan. Mm. And, uh, you know, just seeing how God does that, it, it doesn't make sense. None of it makes any sense, but that's how God works, and we don't deserve it, but yet God gives us what we don't deserve. Um, not only salvation, you know, s- you know, salvation from hell, an eternal damnation, which we do deserve because we've sinned. Hmm. Um, but then he has given us the thing, you know, he has given us heaven, but almost you, you take that out of the equation and we still are so blessed hmm. here on earth. We're just so blessed. We don't deserve our family that we have, hmm. you know, and, uh, and it's given me actually a burden. I've always had a burden for 
And I don't know what it's going to look like in years to come. And I pray that maybe the Lord will do something with it. But I've always had, um, I read the book, um, Little Men as a kid. And it's the story of how um, Luis Malcott wrote the book, but it's of the couple that has the school for boys. And I've always, you know, it's always been a burden of mine. Like, what, what can the Lord do with that? Um, and I still pray that maybe someday that will materialize into something. Um, but it just, and then you in the camp reminded me of it because of your heart for people. Like, I always think of you and like, if I were to characterize you in one thing, it's, it's a servant. You're always serving others, you know, at the camp for, was it 38 years mm-hmm. and as mm-hmm. it flourished? Um, you know, you think of the countless hundreds of kids that came to those camps, those weeks of camp, you may never even know. You you won't ever know the lives you touched. And then Uncle Al, all the lives he touched, and, and I'll have him on here. We'll do another episode, the two of you, um, hear stories from both of you. But even just, you know, both of you, if I were to characterize you and Uncle Al, it's you guys are servants. And, and even to the point of, you know, giving the shirt off your own back, you're going to serve others because you know that your God is greater. is going to provide. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. It just... I often tell Nicole, like, I'm too scared to, and I think it's a good, I think it's a good positive prayer pressure. I'm too scared to let, you know, Grammy and Grandpa Philbrick, Grandma and Grandpa Macuso, Mom and Dad down to get into foolishness. And I think that that, you know, that's not what, that's not why I serve the Lord. Because myself, you know, my my service to the Lord is mine. It's my own my own relationship. Mm. But at the same time, mm. that positive peer pressure that's there looking at the legacy that you guys through God's grace have built, I'm going to have to one day give an account for why I didn't live that legacy myself before the Lord. And, uh, it's, it's a challenge to me and your life and testimony. And, and, uh, you know, I just really appreciate you coming on to the podcast. It's been, it's been awesome. I'm going to, um, I'll give you a chance for closing thoughts here in a second, but right real quick, I'll just say, um, there's a ministry in Chicago called Pacific Guard Missions. They did Grandpa's testimony in a dramatized version, um, and I'm gonna actually I'm gonna put it at the tail end of this episode. It'll be there. Um, it gives some more insights, more maybe a little more detail um, that we couldn't cover in this short episode. But um, I feel like it'll be an encouragement. Um, they have resources and stuff there, um, so I'll I'll put that on there. But Grandpa, do you have any closing thoughts before we wrap up? Yes, just uh, for those that are listening, just be mindful that the Lord is often reminding me that uh, there's nothing you can do about yesterday. Mm-hmm. There's not a thing you can do about tomorrow. But today, you can do all things with Christ Jesus. Mm-hmm. So don't let yesterday's mistakes overwhelm you and in any way be utilized by the devil in convincing you that you're not worthy of doing anything with the Lord. Don't panic about tomorrow. He may be calling us home. Hmm. So take advantage of the day. Hmm. Take advantage of the day. Maybe there's someone out there listening. One of the uh, one of the greatest cancers of a, an individual is um, and I found that out certainly through the story that I've shared with you, and that is the area of forgiveness. Mm-hmm. There are many, many of folks that uh, ruin their lives because of a bitterness that they have, and legitimate, mm-hmm. legitimately so, but 
what I came to realize is my father was no different than I was. He was just a human being living in darkness. And I remember the day that I did get saved. Shortly after that, I went to the, few, um, to the cemetery under the advice of the pastor. He said, get things cleared. And I went to the cemetery and I said, Daddy, I forgive you. And I can't explain this to you, but I felt like a new free man. Hmm. So if anyone's listening, you have any kind of anger in you, it'll, it'll hurt you. It'll hurt mm-hmm. your vision, your mm-hmm. purposes. Let it go. Mm-hmm. And the other one is a heart of gratitude. I wake up and I go to bed with a verse that the Lord has given me. And it serves as a reminder why I'm here. It kind of uh, summarizes yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And it's a verse that, uh, again, uh, I get up in the morning and as soon as I kind of wake up, I quote it as a reminder. And then when I go to bed, I quote it as a reminder. It goes like this. It says, forget not all of his benefits hmm. who redeemed your life from destruction who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies who satisfies your mouth with good things hmm. when you realize as silas mentioned what we deserve and what we have gotten think of it be mindful of all of his benefits not just he's redeemed us and given us a place in heaven, but he's given us an opportunity on this earth. Mm-hmm. Jesus said to one of his disciples, there are those that are coming that are going to perform greater miracles than I. Hmm. Can you imagine we as human beings following the steps, being led by the Holy Spirit to divine appointment where you as a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ can come alongside someone who is contemplating suicide and just share a word, embrace the person, not even become religious, mm-hmm. just express a sense of gratitude. I've heard those testimonies many, many and over of an individual saying, if so-and-so had not come into my life at that point in time and shared the kindness of Jesus, I wouldn't be here talking to you. Mm-hmm. He redeemed our lives from uh, destruction. But all of the benefits that come along with that is to sit somewhere in a nice cottage and looking at your daughter's looking at your grandchildren, and looking all of the benefits. I'll be gone, but the benefits of God in allowing us to have this fellowship is mm-hmm. going to continue in Silas's life and in the lives of all the rest of the children that we've, he's given us. And then it says he, he, he crowns us with loving kindness and tender mercy. I still don't understand that. Mm-hmm. I fail him every day. But the beauty again is to go back and say, Lord, I blew it. Hmm. And he says, I knew it. Hmm. And he embraces me and continues to embrace me in his love. Hmm. And then he says, and I'm going to satisfy your mouth with good things. Huh. Hmm. For 34 years, I didn't know what coming things out of my mouth were good or bad. Or what. But I know for the last 42, 43 years, hmm. he has put a new song. He's put new words. He has certainly satisfied my mouth with good things. Hmm. So be mindful. Be very, very mindful. Forget not all of his benefits. Mm -hmm. And reveal that 
through your life. Thank you, Silas. Yeah. Thank you, Grandpa. I I love Mm. having you on here. It's pretty special. So, And uh, thank you, everybody, for listening to the Junk Drawer Podcast. I really appreciate it. Love to hear feedback on this episode. Uh, Thank you for listening. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another special episode of the Junk Drawer Podcast. A little backstory. uh, I I did uh, the one with Grandpa Mucuso. Um, We're all on vacation here in Pennsylvania. It's the first time the family's been together in this fashion for at least, I think, 10 years. I think 10 years, but maybe maybe it's been more recent than that. But either way, I think it's been yesterday on Thanksgiving Day. We had at least 35 people all in the same house. Some of them have come and gone uh, this morning or last night, so it's a little less than that now. Um, but uh, I thought it'd be fun. Um, I did one with Grandpa uh, on his testimony. I thought it'd be fun to have one with Uncle Al. Uncle Al is kind of the the legendary uncle that every family has or should have. Um, <laughs> we all, you know, growing up, it was like when uncle Al was coming, it was like, that was the bomb. Like, you know, that week was going to be the best week of the, of the year. He'd, he'd always come up, you'd always come up black Friday. Right. Um, and then spend the weekend with us. And then he would always come up for new years. Uh, but then when we would go down to grandma and grandpa's in Pennsylvania, we would always find a way to spend time with you. Um, golf is, a, is something that we have in common now. Um, I remember the one time you took us golfing at that little course down the road from us. Um, but I thought it'd be fun. Uh, he, he always got us into, you know, no matter what sport we're playing, you're kind of the, the jack of all trades when it comes to sports. You can play just about everything and, and be competitive <laughs> enough to make it fun. Um, but also just uh, spiritually, he's always been challenging to us guys. He, I would definitely say I, I would look at you and your, your spiritual gift is encouragement. Thanks. Um, just because you you always are encouraging us, us guys, whether it be to love each other more or to be, you know, to do do stuff together or to succeed at whatever we're doing, whether it be work, sports, um, games, you know, a project. You, you're you're always serving, pitching in, um, and then you're just a challenge um, to us all. Um, and you, you're you're so generous, but I would definitely say your your spiritual gift is encouragement. And I thought it'd be fun to maybe hear a few words from you. I don't know, just. Uh, Kind of, you know, what brought you to where you are today? Um, kind of your heart uh, on on life and what your goals have always been um, in, in ministering to people. And, and I don't know, just kind of have fun with it. It doesn't have to be anything too serious. Uh, just uh, be fun. Okay. Kind of your thoughts. Well, thank you, Silas, for allowing me to, to speak to your audience and to just to you. Uh, I've been been blessed uh, since becoming a believer in Christ, I, my days before uh, <clears throat> uh, giving my life to Christ uh, uh, was pretty haphazard, and uh, direction in life was was definitely not there. Um, I uh, we grew we, I grew up in a uh, Russian Orthodox uh, family. And uh, so we went to church uh, every Sunday and just went through the routines of, of religiosity and uh, had no desire really to be there, uh, but went to, to please my mom, basically. Hmm. And, uh, you know, they came over in uh, 1954 and, and they, they went through a very difficult time you know, going through World War Two, and uh, you know, then just trying to survive, and uh, 
growing up, they never shared uh, the hardships of life. You know, I mean, the you know the real, you know, in the down and dirty what, what actually took place, whether it was in the concentration camp or just uh, in you know my dad, I believe, you know, fought with the you know, on the Russian army and. You know, he may have been a prisoner, and I mean, they just didn't give all those details. So, uh, God wasn't really an important part of our life, and uh, I mean, we yeah, we went to church, but I, it, it, God didn't really mean anything. I don't think you know, because after church we got drunk or whatever, and uh, so it was just a just a routine, a, a weekly routine. Um, then uh, um, my uh, my sister-in-law uh, became a believer. She she was seeking, and she uh, gave uh, got her young the the girls to go to a vacation Bible school. So uh, for you out there that uh, are you know thinking your vacation Bible school is not serving a purpose or not being effective, it just it. <laughs> It can make the biggest difference in, in, in uh, not just the young people, but those that are around those young people. Mm-hmm. And so my two nieces, Tammy and Tanya, Silas's mom is Tammy, yeah. uh, and uh, she gave her life to the Lord. And uh, they were a tremendous witness to me. They loved Uncle Al. And Who I doesn't could, love Uncle Al? <laughs> I couldn't understand why they would love Uncle Al, and because uh, Uncle Al was not really a good guy. And, uh, but they did. And, uh, I ended up, uh, they invited me to go to, to church to see them sing or put on a play. And so I went and it was like the first time I, I heard the gospel and, uh, that, that was, that, that meant a lot. And, uh, uh, I ended up going, uh, to church a couple of Sundays I was invited they invited me again so again my encouragement is to you know if you've been inviting friends to church keep inviting them they they if they see your life and they see your light shine they will uh, they will want to come and so I went and again heard the gospel and uh, I'll never forget that day December 13th 1981 uh, I gave my life to Jesus Christ and that that really transformed um, uh, my life, my direction in life, my goals in life, um, because uh, you know I had gotten involved with all kinds of vices <laughs> before then, and uh, uh, God began to to, to change them, hmm. and, and so you know uh, my faith in Jesus Christ has uh, began to grow, and. Uh, I went, ended up going to a Bible study. Then I ended up going to Moody Bible Institute for a year and got involved with the ministry and then went back to college, went to a, a small Bible college out in, at Citadel Bible College mm-hmm. out in Arkansas. And, uh, you know, God just uh, continued to work in my life. And uh, um, I, I'm thankful that, uh, you know, He doesn't give up on us and that, you know, we're His workmanship Mm-hmm. you know, created in Christ and he, uh, he makes the difference. And so we can continue to walk by faith. And then I got involved in a, a ministry called Teen Haven. And, uh, I have been there ever, ever since I've been in, involved in this ministry for over 32 years now. Mm. And, uh, it's working with young people mm. and, uh, 
you know, I've been blessed to be an uncle, a great uncle. Uh, actually, I think now I'm a great, great uncle. Yeah. And uh, it's only because I'm old, not because I'm great. <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know. I beg to differ. Uh, Silas and his brothers have uh, been a real blessing to me and uh, allowed me to just uh, be a part of their lives. And I've taken that into uh, my ministry. And, uh, I, I, you know, all the young people I meet up with, uh, I consider mm-hmm. myself an uncle yeah, yeah. to them and, and to continue to be involved in their lives. So, yeah. Um, yeah, it's so cool. Luke, uh, Luke obviously, um, you picked them up from the airport and uh, I talked to him. So what did you pick them up? You picked them up on Monday? Monday night, yeah. So I, I texted Luke Tuesday morning and I was like, oh, you staying with Uncle Al? I was like, no, I'm staying at Prophet's Chamber. Uncle Al's got two or three guys uh, staying with him right now. I was like, of course he does. Like, that's Uncle Al. Like, Uncle <laughs> Al is always serving people like he he'll he'll find a way to make it happen it may not be you may not be staying with him because he's serving four or five other guys giving them a place to stay but he's he's gonna find a way to make it happen and i was like that is like that's, yep that's uncle al uh that's just his heart and it's just so cool like and you think of like all the times growing up all the different things that we did um you'd always be when we go places you always encourage us to be um you know I guess a witness to people, but just, just encourage, like serve others, just like serve others, like do whatever you need to do. be thankful. Um, obviously like that's a the theme of this week cause it's Thanksgiving. Mm. But if I think of you, like you'd always be like, thank you. Like you'd always make sure we were, we were thankful <laughs> to the people where yes. we were. Yes. Like tell that guy that you just paid the 20 bucks for to play around a golf. Thank you. Or whatever the case may be. That's just an example. Um, and I just think of, you know, you, you just taught us also to, to love each other more. Like I think of like, I mean, growing up with eight guys, we squabbled all the time. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, <laughs> but you, you would always, you'd always knock us around when we would do that. And, and you would encourage us to love each other. Um, and, and then you're just always the fun uncle. Um, we often tease, um, we, we, or we'd, uh, we'd joke and Tim is kind of jokes around now. Like, oh, I'm going to be like uncle out the fun uncle. Um, but we'd always joke around. Like we want to be like uncle out the fun uncle. Um, I always t- say to Nicole, like, I, w- I want Eric to have the experience with my brothers that we had with Uncle Al and all, and with you too, because like that might be one of the things, like, outside of having great parents that God gave us, having great grandparents and great uncles um, on both sides of the family, you know, that, that, I didn't realize, me and Hunter were talking about it just a couple of days ago, how blessed we are. Like, that's not normal. Um, most, families don't get to grow up with the blessing of having amazing grandparents, amazing uncles that not only spent time investing our lives on just an earthly level, playing games, um, taking us out and doing stuff, but also investing us on a spiritual level like that. That doesn't exist for most families. And we're just incredibly blessed um, to have that. Yeah, I'm, I'm thankful to be part of that, that blessing because uh, I never got to know uh, my mm-hmm. grandparents mm-hmm. Uh, or my uncles, mm-hmm. uh, again, you know, they, most of them, mm. uh, you know, the, the, those that did survive, uh, world war two, uh, again, the distance, you know, they were in, in Russia mm. or the Soviet union at that time. And, you know, we were here in the States. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, and now they've, they've all, you know, since passed away. So, you know, I take my uh, uncleship very seriously, yeah. and uh, I I love it. I I love being uh, an uncle. Yeah. I love doing the things that uh, I did not do, 
So mm-hmm. in in a sense, I I'm, I get to live my yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, my childhood even in my sixties now. Yep. You know, like, you know, like right now we're you know be at the end of this podcast, we're gonna go climb the mountain. Yeah, uh, yeah. in the backyard here up yeah. at this uh, Airbnb. And uh, the little one, Joshua, you know, is like, Uncle Al, you said we were going to go mountain climbing. And when are we going? So after the podcast. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, and it's it's a great way for, for me just to yeah. uh, invest again in, you yeah. know, Joshua's life yeah. or Gigi's or yeah. Johnny's or, you know, I've had my time with all the Philbricks. Yeah. And I, you know, now I get your, I get your sons and yeah. your daughters, yeah. you know, uh, Jordan brought his two girls up and it was so great and uh, little eric it's so so just neat to to be yeah, with these uh, little aurora the too. great the great yeah aurora so uh i, I i'm the one that's really blessed uh i you know uh I, I i hope that the lord will allow me to live till i'm at least 90 yeah that'd be he, uh that'd be pretty awesome yeah and uh you know to see eric married mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, to find a, a good wife. Yeah, I know this is something. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you you know, you'll, you'll you and uh, Nicole will do a great job. Yeah. You you have so far, and just and I'm, I'm we'll 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 be we'll be in your back pocket. Yeah, no, and encouraging you. I to, love it, and uh, I guess we'll uh, we'll wrap it up right here. Um, but what's one memory? If you were to pick one memory out of all the times having thanksgiving or new year's or whatever with the philbrick guys like we'll we'll kind of narrow it down like with just our family pick one or two memories that you, that just stick out to you and I'll, I'll give the one that i have first uh i think it was thanksgiving we had a nice snow which was kind of unusual in pennsylvania we went sledding down the back hill <laughs> and uh for whatever reason we didn't choose the most smooth path because we had three or four trails that we'd sled down we chose the back and uh, we had plastic sleds. I think we actually had just gone out and gotten them at uh, Agway. And you went down and you landed on a rock about the size of a basketball. <laughs> and I mean, it's kind of cruel to laugh at the pain, but I just remember it being <laughs> a super funny experience for all of us guys. You wrecking your tailbone. and <laughs> But that's, that's just one memory that just hilarious moment of Uncle Al, but having fun. You know, we're out there having a blast and then. You know, I think you kept going after that, but <laughs> well, you have to. If you're, you're you're work, working with young people, you got to keep going. You can't show well, your age. But no, yeah, that was. The, the, I've I've had way too many uh, fun activities. Just you know, just times of, of where you're you, you know laughing, you're 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 crying because you you know yeah. And and those are some great times to do. And I and I can't even remember exactly what happened there. But one time was, uh, it was somebody's graduation. And uh, I challenged you guys to uh, like a volleyball thing. Oh yeah! And at yep. the end, at the end of it, you guys threw me yes. in the lake. Yeah, you know, I think with it was, all my clothes on. I think it was Luke's graduation. I don't know, but uh, yeah, could have been. Yep. And uh, but but those are you know those are the fun things. It's like you know, yeah, hey, you guys can't do that. And next, you know, yeah. you're working hard yeah. and you're you're doing this thing. And next thing you know, I'm in the water. <laughs> uh, you know, those are that, that was that was you know. Uh, just just a, a good time. Yeah. Uh, I, I I just think, you know, like a couple of New Year's ago, you know, just being able to go out with, be there at, at your house and uh-huh. uh, the, the the fellowship with everybody yeah. and going out at midnight and shooting the guns <laughs> off. And uh, it, it's not just, just one moment. It's usually yeah. many, yeah. you know, the whole time together. I mean, we went, we were able to go... Uh, 
uh, snowmobiling. And, yeah. Uh, we were shooting. We played hockey. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just great. And just, just kind of like yeah. th- this time together, you know, we've been able to get together for the first time, you know, 35 of us. Uh, so, uh, yeah, just, just a joy awesome. to be together with, yeah. with family and, uh, looking forward to see what the Lord's going to do with, uh, yeah. with Brendan and yeah. uh, Lauren. Yeah. So hopefully that'll be our next wedding. That would be a blast. It, it really would be. So, and uh, even, and even that, I don't want to speak out of turn, but even that is just so much fun to see how the Lord put that together. Cause it's just like, oh, it's so cool. But oh, I, I need to hear all of that. Yeah, I, ha- I haven't we, heard uh, all that we'll, yet. Uh, we'll maybe not put it on the, the World Wide Web here, but uh, I'm sure they would love to tell you their story. I so. definitely look forward to it. So, hey, thank awesome. you. Thank, thank you, Uncle Al, for, thank you. for thank coming you on for the Junk Drawer Podcast. I appreciate it. And thank you so much, all you listeners out there that uh, keep the Junk Drawer Podcast going. Thanks. How do you do? The dislocations and shifting national boundaries at the end of World War II left Western Europe teeming with displaced persons, many of them still not free from fear. Among these were the parents of the man we're going to meet, and the violence they had known seems to have reached him as well. The unsettled pattern was broken only when his heart and mind and life were unshackled. Unshackled, produced in Chicago by Pacific Garden Mission, dramatizing true stories. In recent years, the problem of homelessness has finally gained widespread attention, but it seems to have been with us for a very long time. It was evident to some people as long ago as 1877, and their response was Pacific Garden Mission. Today, after much more than a century, It remains a leading place of help for the homeless, men, women, and children. Help means shelter, lodging, meals, clothing, and medical and dental care. It also means friendly counsel because bread alone is not enough. Counselors point the way to basic change, a fresh start, a new life. And now for broadcast around the earth, Unshackled. At war's end, the displaced persons, even while still living in the camps, began establishing more normal lives. Marriages were common, and among those marrying were the parents of the man whose story we have to tell. He was born in Hamburg in Bavaria. By that time, his parents were already planning to move out of Germany. And that move was to be the first step in the direction of the United States. You'll learn how that came about as we bring you the true story of Vladimir Mikusa, Vinny, now on Unshackled. As my name clearly shows, my father was Russian. As a soldier in the Red Army, he was wounded and ultimately captured. If he had been held in a German POW camp, he would almost certainly have been sent to Russia at the end of the war. As a concentration camp survivor, though, he was moved westward, and he and my mother lived for a while at Amberg, where they planned their next move. The first thing is to get out of Germany. Why are you so determined about that? First, because I don't want to be sent back to Russia. Would the Germans do that? They might. They have plenty of reason to dislike Russians. And I have heard that the Russians are killing returning prisoners of war or sending them to labor camps. 
They think our minds may have become tainted by contact with the West. So where do we go? I think there is a chance of our getting into Belgium. They need coal miners, but that is only the first step. The first step? The first step to where? Who knows? Australia, South America, Canada, or the United States. Oh, such a move will cost money. And I hope we can save enough in Belgium. Of course, if we go to the United States, our money problems will be over. All Americans are rich. The streets are paved with gold. At about the time we made our move to Belgium, my sister Raisa was born. Saving money for the next move was not as easy as my father had hoped. When I was seven years old, he was still working in the Belgian mines. That year, on a stormy night, something happened that will always remain in my memory. Your father will be home any time now. Such a night. He'll be drenched. I'll get out some dry clothes for him. There he is. Vladimir Vaughn, let him in. Quickly. Come in. Come in. Thank you, madame. <sighs> what? A gendarme? I was expecting my husband. Yes. Uh, Mrs. Macuso, there's been a serious accident at the mine. Oh, no. What about my husband? He is among a number of others who are trapped. Trapped? Yes. Well, but not dead. I wish I could tell you that, but we are certain that all of the trapped men have died. Belgium is thought of as low country, but the coal mining sections are surprisingly hilly. As I saw my mother going through terrible emotional strain that night and the next day, I climbed to one of the hilltops, shook my little fist at the sky, and cursed God. Later on the way home, I began to feel I lacked the authority to yell at God. Then I tried to make a deal with him. If he would straighten out my life and on my schedule, I would serve him. Now that's a very mature thing to do, but when I reached home, I knew my deal must have been ignored. A number of the neighbors were gathered around the house and the local gendarme was there with an ambulance. Oh, take me to my husband, please. Get into the ambulance, Mrs. Macuso. Are you taking me to my husband? We're taking you to where you'll be well cared for. But my husband, oh, my poor husband. Please, madame, please. Later on, you may be able to see him. My husband. Why? Why? As my mother, with her nervous breakdown, was taken to an institution... My sister and I were placed in an orphanage. It was a short stay because when the rescuers broke through to the trapped miners, my father was found alive. My mother recovered from her emotional condition and our family was reunited. In 1954, my father had accumulated enough money for airfare to the United States. We arrived at LaGuardia with $10. My father searched the telephone books for New York City and nearby places in Connecticut looking for Russian names. On the phone, he succeeded in persuading some people in West Haven to come up to New York and pick us up. They became our sponsors. It turned out that they were in the poultry business. My dad and I were to care for the farm and gather and pack eggs, while my mother was to do housework. That arrangement gave us our start. Later, we moved to a tough part of New Haven. Mother got a job in a clothing factory, and my dad went to work in a foundry, where he often worked two and even three shifts. 
As for me, I soon learned that the name Vladimir was no help with the other kids in the neighborhood. That name and the fact that I spoke with a heavy Russian accent made me fair game for every bully on the street. An Italian woman saw what was happening and took me under her wing. You're such a little kid, and you don't speak English so good. I'm not going to teach you to talk right, like me. And you sure need American name. From now on, no more Vladimir. I'm going to call you Vinny. <laughs> I accepted the name and used it with the other kids. Not long after that, I started weightlifting. As a result of my new name, my improved English, and the weights, my situation changed. Instead of being the gang's victim, I became the leader. While my situation on the street was improving, conditions at home were becoming very bad. My dad, although he was making good money, spent more and more of it on liquor and gambling. Weekends became a nightmare, a time of abuse, blood, and alcohol. No, please, you're hurting me. If you don't like it, then don't give me a oh, lot of talk about stop. spending money. Stop. What I do with my money stop. is my business. Oh. Oh, you understand? Oh, yes. Yes, huh? please. Don't hit me again. Please. By that time, I had two brothers and two sisters. As the oldest, I became their protector and tried to protect my mother, too. I took the beatings for the others. Once, I was in a coma for several days, and I often stayed home from school because I was so badly marked. I vowed that when I was older, I would kill my father and never be like him. Meanwhile, I stole cigarettes and liquor from him for the use of my gang. Among the guys, I was known as the Mad Russian. I had become so competitive that in high school, I made a name for myself in sports and captained both the soccer team and the tennis team. I also learned to use people to get what I wanted. In my senior year, my mother had a very serious heart attack was given one chance in ten to survive one year. She refused surgery and has outlived the prediction by considerably more than 20 years. My own life was in considerably more danger. I used to drive from Connecticut, which had a 21-year-old drinking age, to New York, which served alcohol to people 18. Coming home, I was always very drunk. More than once, on looking over my car the next morning, I found marks and dents that I couldn't account for. One of my low points was when I tried to put out a contract. Yeah, I guess I cut off a guy if the price was right. Of course, uh, the price depends on how important he is. This guy's a nothing, but he hurts people. And you're going to come to their rescue by having me put him away. That's the idea. So, uh, who's he hurting? My mother, my kid sisters, my kid brothers. What? Wait a minute. Who are you talking about? My dad. Who else? And you think you can pay me to waste your own father? Forget it. I went to the University of New Haven on a soccer scholarship. My life there was mostly booze, partying, gambling, and fights. My name stuck. I was still the mad Russian. In one car accident, I lost control, rolled over three times, and then the car flew 60 feet. I was pinned underneath for a long time. 
Most of my activities at the university were intended to be profitable. I organized gambling in the student center. When not playing poker, I was hustling pool. You've heard of someone dying of five aces? Well, something a little like that almost happened to me during a poker game in a fraternity house. Can you open? Yes, I can. What about you? I was going to fold. Staying in? No, thanks. Well, that leaves just the two of us. Cards? I think I'll just keep what I've got. And I'll take one. Well, you opened. So I did. There. <laughs> I guess you think well of your cards. They'll do. Well, as the saying goes, someone has to keep you honest. <laughs> you like old things. Sure. Then here's one. Read them and weep. I can read them all right, but I don't think I could squeeze out any tears. Let me show you why. Hey, that isn't possible. You saw it, didn't you? I saw what I was supposed to see, but I didn't see how you did it. I hope you're not suggesting I manipulated the cards. I'm not suggesting. I know it. Hey, now. Hey, look at it down. Put that thing down. Are you, you not sure I am? That'll be my defense when this mad Russian is dead. The slug missed me, and the other people took the guy's gun away from him. It was all kept very quiet, but some other things came out. Very soon, I was talking with the dean. Really, he did all the talking. Mr. Mikusov, you've scandalized this institution. Here are a few of the charges that have come to my attention. Organized gambling in the student center, hustling pool, drunkenness, brawling, questionable actions at the college bookstore, not to mention the fact that you almost killed yourself and one of our female students in a drunken car wreck. I'm sorry, but we are revoking your scholarship. My problems hadn't ended. They'd really just begun, and on a larger scale than before. We'll discover what the problems were, and very shortly, as the mad Russian tells the rest of his story. Now, Superintendent Dave Saulnier of Pacific Garden Mission has a suggestion for those who have wanted to bring a church group to the old lighthouse but haven't been able to arrange it. The suggestion is this. Provided the distance from Chicago isn't too great, let Pacific Garden Mission come to you. We love to send out a deputation team to churches within reasonable driving distance of our home base. The team is headed by our staff pastor, and he brings with him two or three people who have come to Pacific Garden Mission and have responded to the gospel by receiving Christ. The team can take responsibility for your entire service, if you wish, or can fill a part of it according to your instructions. The leader is an excellent preacher, and the people he brings with him will give their testimonies in a clear and straightforward manner. If you wish, the team will bring and show the slide cassette program 
around the clock at Pacific Garden Mission. This was photographed on the street and in the mission and gives a clear picture of what happens hour by hour throughout the day and night. The people you see in the program are actual members of the staff and those who come in from the street for help. No professional actors, no models. This is a candid view of the rescue mission and of its people at work. The deputation team is much in demand and has engagements scheduled some distance ahead. So now is the time when you should be selecting an appropriate date. With that done, you can get in touch with us. If your date is not yet taken, we'll make a firm commitment to have the team meet your schedule. The sincere testimonies of men and women who have known the dangers and heartbreaks of life on the street will make a deep and lasting impression, especially on you young people. As to the distance we can travel, I think that anything within a radius of 250 miles from Chicago can probably be arranged. For more information or to nail down a date, get in touch with Pacific Garden Mission, Chicago, Illinois, 60605. That's Pacific Garden Mission, Chicago, Illinois, 60605. I found myself out on the street again. Life at our house was miserable. Dad continued his drunken ways. Mom was in frail health due to a massive heart attack. My brothers and sisters' lives were as disoriented as my own. As crazy as it sounds, I started working at a center for hardcore street kids. <laughs> I didn't do well, though. It's difficult to impart meaning into someone else's life when there's no meaning in your own. During my senior year at college, I met a girl, Kathy, at a frat party. We were married that year, and I tried to straighten my life out. I joined the National Guard and later got a job at a large company in Connecticut. Soon, we had all the trappings of success. I was made a foreman, and then an area supervisor for the company. We had one and then another precious little daughter. I owned a beautiful home complete with swimming pool and two cars in the garage. But things were not how they seemed. Oh, you're finally home. What was it tonight, another poker game? Did you lose big again? Or maybe Vinny was selling more of the company's property under the table, huh? Lay off, Kathy. I've been buying the groceries, haven't I? I bought you this museum. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm having another drink. What does it look like? You shouldn't be drinking. <laughs> Why don't you practice what you preach? You're the one who's totaled both of our cars. You almost killed me in one of them. Don't warn me about the perils of drinking. It's the only thing that helps me accept this life of ours. Oh, by the way, Tammy has a school program coming up. Do you think that this time her father could be there? I've told you before, I don't have time to waste on... On your kids, yeah, but you can gamble away our security. Yeah, I found the receipts you had hidden in our room, Vinny. We're $23,000 in debt. You had no business snooping around like that. Oh, yeah? Besides, a couple of good wins and we'll wipe that debt out. You'll wipe that debt out, Vinny. I'm already wiped out. 
I want a divorce. Kathy's words hit me hard. But before she could leave, something happened. Oh, well, it's so nice to think, and thank you. Thank you very much for coming to the program tonight, Mrs. Macuso. Ah, this week's vacation Bible school was one of the best we've ever had. And, of course, your Tammy has accepted Christ as her personal Savior. Thank you, Pastor. And thank those two ladies who invited the girls. As for this getting saved, I think I'd like to hear more. I'm not sure that I understand it all. Don't worry, Mrs. Macuso. We'll have some folks stop by to answer any questions you may have. Good. You have a good evening now. True to his word, the pastor sent some folks out to visit us. It wasn't long before Kathy and then my other daughter, Tanya, turned their hearts and lives over to Jesus Christ. Personally, I had no use for what I considered religion. The religion I was raised with had answered none of life's questions for me. My personal feelings about Jesus were that he could hardly be God if he had gotten himself caught and crucified. One thing did impress me about my family's newfound faith. I saw a dramatic change in my wife and my daughters. Kathy gave up the booze and tried to get along with me in spite of my goadings and insults. She would leave gospel tracts around the house for me to read. Sometimes, she would just leave her Bible lying open to a marked passage. I bit every time and read the material. It wasn't long before I found myself in the little church. So we see then that the problem with men is internal, not external. It is his heart that needs to be changed, not his environment. The Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This means that no one is good enough to meet God standing alone. But the Bible further speaks in reference to Jesus Christ, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The fact is that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid for all of our sins when he died on the cross. Then he arose from the dead to prove that he had defeated death. He offers the fruits of his victory to all who will humble themselves and accept him as their personal Savior. Well, Vinny, what did you think of the service? Well, I'd like to know what he would have said if you hadn't told him I was coming. Vinny, I never told him a thing. In fact, if you remember right, you made your decision to come just before we left the house, so he couldn't have had time to prepare for you to be there. If anything he said touched your heart, it was from God, not from me. Much happened in the following weeks. I visited the church a few more times. While there, I saw a man in a wheelchair whom I could consider a hopeless cripple give praise to God. I couldn't understand why he wasn't bitter. I even volunteered to help tear down a wall to expand a Sunday school room. Through this, I got to know some of the men of the church. I saw that they were honest men with good sense. The pastor's sermons always felt to me as though 
I was the target. In the book of the Revelation, chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, God says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold or hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm, and neither cold or hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. These words cut deeply into my heart. I had tried to get involved in the church, but refused to give myself totally to Jesus Christ. I was neither cold nor hot. I was in trouble. But it was what happened next that was to really shake me. You can ignore me if you wish. Ignore God's word. Go pop your third beer and parlay the giants, but you can't ignore God. Vinny, do you really need that? It's your third beer since we got home from church. Yeah, and I suppose I should go parlay the giants too, huh? Hello? Yeah, Vinny, this is Al. Hey, listen, I had to call you. This is a sure thing. The best bet today is the parlay of the Giants. Hello, Vinny? You still there? Vinny? Who was that on the phone? Never mind. Well, who are you calling? Never mind, I said. There's something I got to do. Pastor? This is Vinny Macuso. I have to talk to you. That Wednesday night, June 11, 1981, at 10.35 p.m. in the pastor's office, I bowed my head and accepted Jesus Christ as my own personal savior. change was dramatic and immediate. People at work saw it quickly, especially when I began to make restitution for my thievery. Many got saved, and some lukewarm Christians got hot for the Lord. Like many new Christians with more zeal than knowledge, I tried running before I could walk. I fumbled around trying to get into the ministry long before I was ready. My pastor came to my aid with his wisdom. Vinny, I understand your desire to get into the ministry. And believe me, I appreciate your zeal. But the Bible says, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that ye may grow thereby. Vinny, you need to learn the Bible. You need to grow spiritually. That's why God gave you a local church. I followed my pastor's counsel. Soon I was active in the tape and tract ministry. I became an usher and also made hospital visits. Finally, I got to teach a Sunday school class. Much has happened over the years, bad and good. The Lord brought us both. Kathy led my father to Christ just a week before he died. In 1983, my mother trusted Christ, as have my two brothers. I am no longer the mad Russian. Three years ago, Vinny got the call for which he had patiently waited. Today, he and his family live in the Philadelphia area, 
where Vinnie works with the Teen Haven Camp. Ironically, it's a ministry to hardcore inner-city teenagers. Only now, Vinnie does have something, really something, to talk to them about. Perhaps something in his story reminds you of your own life. And if so, you may get in touch with Pacific Garden Mission, Chicago, Illinois, 60605. The telephone number in Chicago, area 312-922-1462. If you listen in the Philippines, you may address Unshackled in care of the Pacific Mission, Post Office Box 1467, Manila. We hope you'll write this week and tell us you listen. We hope you'll ask others to listen, too. While you're at it, why not drop a note to the manager of this station and say, thanks for Unshackled. Heard in the true story of Vladimir Mercuso were Charles Lutz, Judith Easton, Edie Howard, Larry Moran, Jack Bibbins, and Mac Carroll. Original music, Lucille Becker, sound Nicolosio, engineer Ed Webb. The story was written by Sam Gipp. Unshackled's produced by Pacific Garden Mission to show through true stories that no one is beyond reach of God's grace. Write to us this week. We really appreciate knowing you're listening. Pacific Garden Mission, Chicago, Illinois, 60605. If you'd like to talk to someone who's concerned about you, you may call Pacific Garden Mission, 312-922-1462. Someone is waiting for your call. Thank you.